Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. We're happy to see you here. Um, Cam and I came up, or actually Cam, it was Cam's idea, but it was I was reading it earlier on in the week, so it kind of worked out really interesting. But from Ephesians 6, um, the spiritual battle that we're all in. So the songs that we chose today revolve around that. So let's stand and sing together. Church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. We shield our mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could 
together in your bulletins. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity in heart so that I may honor you, for your love for me is very great. You rescued me from the depths of death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us a, a good day today to uh, to enjoy, we thank you that everyone that's everyone for everyone that's here to be able to hear your word. Help us to open our hearts and be able to uh, allow that to sink in, and we will be richer and closer to you for that. Ask your blessing upon this time we share in your name. We pray. Amen. Corey's going to come and read the scripture.
I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 20. Is that right? For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedience do in se- disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Now, I want uh, everybody to hold their hands up, please. Both hands. Because there was a little bit of a conspiracy going on in the foyer. Somebody brought tomatoes and somebody suggested that they start chucking them when the preacher came. So I just wanted to be sure there's no tomatoes out there. All right. That makes me feel more comfortable. I I was wondering if I was going to make it up here this morning. I was in the washroom downstairs and I locked the door. And it has a latch on it that... I've never come across before. It looks like a really neat homemade one, but I couldn't get it open. So I was in panic mode. I was thinking, if I yell help, will they come? I'll be embarrassed. And then what do I preach on? And then the thought came to me, well, just crawl underneath. And then I thought, well, I'm such a big frame. I don't know if I'll fit, but I got it open. So here I am. (laughs) Good morning. So we've had uh, some interesting themes happening here this morning, but they all come together in a very unique way, as the Spirit always leads. And we talk about, you know, spiritual warfare. We talk about having the armor on, protecting us from the evil one, because his main desire is to divide, conquer, and isolate. That's what the enemy does. He divides, he conquers, or it should be divide, isolate, and conquer is really what it should be. And so as we put on that armor of God, we prepare ourselves to walk in the spirit. We prepare ourselves to hear the heart of God. And then that passage in Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk with wine for that is foolishness. And it has this whole concept of being, being of sane mind, heart, and soul. So that what? It says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. So the theme today really is preparing ourselves in such a way that we can follow God, that we can uh, uh, listen to his way and follow his way and do his will. So it all comes together. We have to be prepared. We have to have a heart that seeks after him. And as we have a heart that seeks after him, he will give us insight and direction into what his will is because he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. So I can know the will of God for my life. Now, I wish that God would sometimes send down a letter from heaven and give me instructions saying, for the next three years, this is my will for you. But he doesn't do that. He just calls us just to walk, and he'll reveal to us his will as we go along. Several years ago, I came across an individual who, because of a tragic event in their life, was forced to start over, so to speak. 
The victim of the tragedy was a little 11-year-old girl. One Sunday, her parents showed up in our church, and we met them for the first time and got talking with them after church, and their daughter was with them, and I noticed that something wasn't quite right with the daughter. Something was off in terms of mental capacity and emotional capacity. And so the father, seeing my compassionate outreach to her, took me aside and told me the story. He said when this little girl was seven, he was watching her doing his parenting role, and she was having a bath, and the power went out. So he left her, rushed downstairs to throw the breaker and get the power back on again. When he came back up, actually on his way back up, he had this horrible feeling come over him that something wasn't right, something was wrong. And the tragedy was, of course, the girl had slipped and fell and bumped her head and was unconscious, lying in the water. And so he did what he could do to uh, resuscitate her. The ambulance came, they did what they could do, and they got her to the hospital. She was unconscious, but she lived. And that little girl had to then start the journey from 7 to 11, at that point in time, to relearn what it meant to walk, to talk even, to do all that we take for granted today. And so she had to learn those motor skills. She couldn't walk very well in the early stages. And when I saw her at the age of 11, she was doing much better. And I don't know where she would be at today because that's some 30 years ago. So hopefully she progressed quite well. Well, I give you that illustration because in a sense, this is what's happening in the text that we're going to look at today from the book of Joshua. So if you turn to Joshua chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you have them, and it's like one preacher said, if you don't have your Bible, may God forgive your sin-cursed soul. <laughs> Bring your Bible to church is an important thing to do. Ephesians, uh, pardon me, Joshua 6, and we'll be looking at one and following. But here we find the nation under God who were in a place where they had to maybe start relearning some things that God had been teaching them. And they were about to learn this in a very powerful way through an event that takes place in this particular chapter. And as we approach our text for today, we get a glimpse of the nation compared to this little girl who was in the midst of relearning some things that God wanted them to learn. You see, God was calling this nation to move ahead. Egypt was behind them, and they're moving ahead. But they had some spiritual lessons that they had to learn. And those lessons were concerning the will of God. So let's read the story together. It's, it's a little bit lengthy, but that's okay. It's the word of God. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast in the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed God going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. 
But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early next morning. The priests took up the Ark of the Covenant. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given us the city. Now I want you to notice some lessons from this very peculiar outpouring of God in the lives of these people. Why were they in this situation? Well, they had to learn something new. So these are just kind of my thoughts coming out of this text today. What did they have to learn? Well, first of all, they had to learn to do what they could and then leave the results to God, leave the rest to God. They had to follow God's way, even if it didn't make sense. And they had to accept God's justice, even if it seemed so final. They had to learn to let God be God. So let's look first of all, as let's do what we can do and leave the rest to God principle. Verse 1 says, Jericho was tightly shut up. No one went out and no one came in. Now, we need to learn a little bit about this particular city. It, when we say the word city, it kind of deceives us a little bit because city, like I'm from Lloydminster, the city of Lloydminster, and that's 32 approximately thousand people. This is about 2,000 people, but it's called a city. It was one of the oldest fortified cities in the ancient Near East six miles north of the Dead Sea, and it was 750 feet below sea level. Some have said it's one of the lowest lying areas in the world. There was plenty of water supply nearby. In fact, the Bible refers to this location as the city of palm trees. So it had, you know, had some good things going for it. Around eight to 10 acres, that's the size of it. But it was fortified with 17, approximately 17 foot walls. And wide enough that in Nehemiah's time in Jerusalem, he could ride around on a horse and chariot on top of the walls of Jerusalem. So they built them wide and tall. Let's uh, see a couple pictures of that, just to put that in our minds. So that would be the walled city right there, an artist's rendition. And you'll notice that there's two walls, right? There's the lower wall, and then there's an upper wall. So they had to, Go into the city on an incline. Let's do the next one. There's just another example. You see the two walls. It's kind of hard to see, but you see where the wall is broken. There's the first wall. There's a second wall. And then the third picture there. That's the guy standing on one of the, uh, one of the finds, archaeological finds. So, you know, pretty tall. It'd take, take a little bit to get over that wall, right? So 30 foot thick walls, 17 foot high. This is what God was calling them to conquer. Now I don't know about you,
but just thinking of the guy that was standing there, you can shut it off now. I'm saying to myself, I need a pretty big ladder to get up there, and I'm terrified of heights, so I probably wouldn't do it. But anyway, uh, no doubt the city was filled with an abundance of supplies. They were fortified. They were prepared for people attacking them. I remember in the year 2000, anybody kind of go into panic mode in the year 2000? You know what? I'm still burning firewood that I put aside in the year 2000. <laughs> I, we just got lots of firewood because we have a stove in our basement. We thought, well, 2000's coming. If the computers crash and the power goes out, we've got, we've got warm, warm wood there. So I'm still burning that. But anyway, in this case, they were prepared for a large siege. Let's look at 5.1. It says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings, kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites um, had crossed, their hearts sank and no longer had courage to face the Israelites. They were fortified. They were well prepared. And God is saying to Joshua, I have delivered this into your hands. I have delivered this into your hands along with the king. And all the fighting men from verse 2. So here's this promise of total victory. And one thing you've got to remember today is that Joshua was a military strategist. He would have had a very succinct plan of how to attack and how to win over that particular location. And God comes along and says, I want you to do something that's a little unhuman in strategy. And I'm sure his mind was perplexed. If I was a general in the army and I was told to do something like this, I would kind of wonder, you know, does that guy need some help? You know, why would we do this? And he was probably questioning, but he was such the kind of a man that he obeyed God. He listened to God. And so he begins the journey then of telling people what God has told them to do. And it's in verse 2 we see, of course, where God shatters Joshua's carefully laid out thinking strategic plans. He says, just march around the city. Well, what good's that going to do? Do it for six days. And on the seventh day, you do it seven times. And God promised, verse 2, I have delivered you. Not I will, I have, which is interesting. Joshua's response was he went to the son of Nun, called the priests together. Verse 6 says, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Now, what was the significance of the Ark? Anybody know? What's the significance of the Ark in the march here? I'll put you a test today. Yes? Yes, exactly. God is with us. That was what the ark was saying to the enemy. You mess with us, you're messing with the God of creation, right? So the ark was a very important part. So here's that first principle coming to fruition here. Do what we can do and leave the rest to God. Let's unfold that just a little bit more. See, God was calling them to take a first step. Sometimes the will of God is not made known to us until we step out of the boat. Until we take the first step of obedience to Him. We take that first step. Uh, we had a, uh, our, our denominational leader uh, tell us one time, as my wife and I were missionary candidates to Asia, and he said to us, he said, you know, we were struggling with the whole um, kids in boarding school issue. Our kids were adopted and it was just a little extra sensitive to us. And he said, you know, sometimes God's grace doesn't appear until your foot is on the airplane. 
And what he really meant was, you're struggling with it now, but if you just follow God and obey Him, and do what He's asking you to do, He will give you what you need to make it happen. Well, long story short, we didn't go. We stayed back home, and God gave us fruitful ministry here. But that principle is, do what you can do and leave the rest to God, is very, very important for us. Sometimes we get in the way of God's work. God is calling us to do something and we're battling in our minds saying, but God, that doesn't make sense. God, why would you ask me to do that? God, why would we do it this way? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and we forget that God is God and he has a much bigger picture than we do. He sees things that we don't see. I remember listening to um, Steve Green. Anybody heard of him as an artist? Yeah, very, I love his, his music and so on. But he was speaking to us at a, a conference for therapists and he was just talking about um, how one time he had this sort of a, like vision-like happen to him. And in this vision, he saw himself in, in the throne room of God and, and, and people were coming up and God was sitting up on this big throne, kind of like a Santa Claus figure, you know, where kids come and sit on his knee. And people were coming up and they were sitting there and they were crying out to God with their needs and their requests. And there was one woman there who came up and, and she was crying out to God and, and it seemed like God wasn't even listening. Her son was a drug addict and she was praying. And it just seemed like God wasn't listening. And finally the woman just got up and left. And when it was his turn, he was angry. And he went and sat down beside God. And he said, how could you neglect this woman? Her heart was so, so hurt and she was in such need. How could you neglect her? And he said, the vision of God there was that a big tear just came down his cheek. And in an anthropomorphic way, that tear, he said to this singer, he said, you don't see what I see. And that's so powerful to me. When I get so uptight and I'm saying, but God, you don't understand. I, I think we need to do it this way. I think this needs to happen. And God says, you don't see what I see. In 1968, quite a number of years ago, an airplane was headed for New York on a normal routine flight. And as they were in their descent pattern, the pilot realized that the landing gear wasn't engaging. And he messed around with the controls, trying to regain um, the, the controls and, and getting the, the wheels to come down without success. So then he asked the ground control for instructions, and as the plane circled the landing field, the emergency crew coded the runway, they got their foam trucks out, and all the emergency vehicles were there. He told the passengers over the intercon system, prepare yourself, we're going to have to do a hard landing, crash landing. Place your heads between your knees, grab your ankles just before impact. Relax, honey, I'm going on a flight here recently, but it's okay. <laughs> there were tears and cries of despair. And it's in one of those moments where the people were thinking, this can't happen to me, this can't happen to me. And with the landing only minutes away, the pilot suddenly announced over the intercom, he said, we're beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with international aviation codes established at Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence prayer. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I'm sure people were doing that long before he announced that, right? But see, here's the thing, you know, did I pray about it? I really think God is leading me this way, but did I really pray about it? Or is this just some concoction in my own mind that I've dreamed up and I want God to bless it? So you see, we need to make sure we don't put the, cart, the horse before the cart. 
We pray first and then we act. So, for example, I'm a very staunch believer in going to see my doctor on a regular basis. But that doesn't mean I don't pray about the things that come into my life. I, I pray for healing. I, I believe in healing. But I still go to my doctor, you see. I have a balance there. And so sometimes we have to just do what we can do. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to leave it to God. But I'm also praying about it. I'm also asking him for insight and wisdom. Sometimes we find it hard to let go of our wills and follow God's will. So the second principle is obey God's will even if it doesn't make sense. Let's take a reality check here. Did we hear the context of this passage correctly? Pull together all the soldiers, divide them up, one group before the priests who have horns in the ark, soldiers behind, march around the, the wall for six days and say nothing. Most of us would fail right there. <laughs> say nothing. Now this is a weird experience. I, I've actually had a couple of these experiences. When we were uh, first, our first church was in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. And when we went down there, they had 22 pastors in 18 years. So going into it, we knew this was going to be a tough battle. We knew that we were going to have to really believe God for some good things down there. And um, one of the reasons we went actually was one of the elders said, God has given me a vision that we'll be a church of 500. And he was a man of faith. He really believed that with all his heart. But the history of that little church is they had an old round dance hall that uh, they used to have weekend dances. And it was long gone now. It was dilapidated. And God had laid on the heart of one of the elders that we were to purchase that land and build a church on that land. So being a new young pastor, full of faith and vision, one day I just got in my car, drove over there, and I walked around that land. Just walked around it, prayed in my heart. Didn't say a word. Just silent. Just prayed. Just prayed. And that was an exhilarating experience for me. We never bought the land. It wasn't God's will. Another time when I was in a, uh, my home church in Rosetown, Saskatchewan, uh, we were in a building program and uh, we were stuck because our old building wasn't selling. And we needed to sell it. We needed the funds to apply to our new building. So one Sunday after church, the pastor called all of us to follow him and not talk, but to walk around the property. And just pray that God would release the property. Now that was quite a sight. 80, 90 people walking around a little church building in a parking uh, kind of a lot. About this size actually. God answered that prayer and the building sold the next week. Or the week after, whatever it was. So God's will is that we obey it. Even if it doesn't make sense. And it didn't make sense to these people. Walk around in complete silence. Blow the horns and yell. And something miraculous is going to happen. Who would have believed that? Well, they did. And there are many times in our life where God might call you to do something that sounds very illogical. Now, I want to interject something here. Um, <clears throat> I follow a little bit of a path in my life. How do we know God's will? So the scripture in Ephesians said, don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. How do we know the will of God? I follow a four-point kind of pattern in my life. I've been a Christian for 46 years, I guess it is, something like that. And this pattern I've always followed. So it's called the four W's. What's the word of God telling me? What's the wooing of the Holy Spirit saying? That's an old word, wooing. What's, the, what's that inner working of the Holy Spirit? 
And they see, this is where Ephesians 6 and 5 come in. Because if, if we're not walking with God and we have a lot of junk in our life, whose voice are we really going to hear? Are we going to hear God's voice, society's voice, my, my flesh voice, the voice of the devil? Whose voice am I really hearing? So if I'm right with God and I delight in Him, He will speak to me. And so the wooing of the Holy Spirit, then the wisdom of mature Christians, and finally the way of circumstances. Those four have to line up. When I was growing up, I worked for farmers. My dad was a grain buyer. And when I was in the field driving a tractor, it didn't have GPS back then. You guys miss out on a lot. I would find something down at the end of the field, and I'd fix my eyes on that, and I would just go for that object, and I had nice straight lines. And I was proud of my straight lines. Because I had my eyes fixed on that, right? And so we need to fix our eyes on doing God's will and stay focused on doing His will. Because Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, because the heavens are higher than the earth and my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If we could only know what God was thinking, right? Then here's some weird things from Scripture. You say, well, this is just a one-time event. No, this happened a lot. In Ezekiel, he told the, the prophet, he said, Lie on your left side and put the sin of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, oh man, you will lay on your side, bear the sin of Israel. And after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the house of Judah. And I've assigned 40 days. A day for each year. Whew. Get out of bed, man. Go to work. Well, I can't. God told me not to. <laughs> Acts 21:11. A prophet came up to the, the group and said, and actually he took Paul's belt, and he tied it in his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. I'm sure going through his mind is, God, you want me to take the belt and bind my hands and my feet with it? I don't think he questioned it. He just did it because the Spirit was upon him. So, long and short, they obeyed God. They listened to him. They did what, he, they did what he asked them to do. And you know the end of the story. We didn't read it. But the end of the story is the walls came down. On that seventh day, the seventh time around, the people were exhorted to shout, and they did. And the walls came tumbling down. Now, there's all kinds of speculation from the liberal side of things that, well, that really, you know, did that really happen or whatever. Some scientists today have used sound to move objects. I know when I used to come home uh, from a late night out before I was a Christian and had the bass going on my stereo, it moved things in the house. <laughs> okay, that was a joke, people. Come on, you know. <laughs> So finally, let's look at the last one here. So what, what have we seen so far? What was the first point? Can you tell me? Test time. Do what you can do and leave the rest to God. Second point was? E oh, yeah, follow God, obey God, even if it doesn't make sense. And now the third one is let God be God or accept his justice. We come, to consider, we come to the place now where we have to consider perhaps some of the most hmm, troubling aspects of Scripture 
that the intellectual mind has to face. And a lot of us run from it. We don't want to go here. We don't want to do this. It's just too deep and too hard. But in verse 21, he tells them to destroy with the sword every living thing, men, women, young and old. Wow. How can God, a God of love, ever ask someone to do that? And we find all kinds of examples in the Old Testament. And I have struggled with this over the years as a human being. Because I have such a heart of empathy and compassion for people. And I say, God, how, how could you hold them accountable? They didn't do anything. It was this guy over here. And we go through this and we go through this. I remember one time when I worked with victim services and we got a call of a horrendous accident that had happened on the highway just past uh, Maidstone. And uh, there was some death involved, but there was a, a girl that survived. And her father had been working and living in a hotel in Lloydminster. He was working in the oil field. And we got called to go and inform him of the death of his son and that his, sister was, his daughter was still alive. And when we walked in there and we told him that, he just broke down intensely. And I was introduced by the um, police officer as the victim services chaplain. And he looked at me and he said, how could your God do this to me? And those words still ring in my mind. How could your God do this to me? Now, I found out later that this man was a very strong spiritual man. He was a good church attender, loved God, loved the Bible. But you know what? He was in that moment of crisis where the dark night of the soul, he just lost total perspective and that was what his thought was. How do you think I answered him? I didn't. I actually cried with him. I actually went over and put my arm on his shoulder and said, we just don't understand. We just don't understand. See, at this point we have two options. We can pass over the problem and simply say, we don't know. Which, honestly, sometimes is the best answer you could ever give. Or we can attack it and say, let's try and find an answer to this. How could God ask them to destroy all the people? Now, I wrote this down and I'll bet you I forgot to put it in my Bible. I've got a guy's name that I found on... YouTube, and I apologize, I really thought I had his name here, I wanted to give it to you, because he answers this question in one of the very clear and basic ways I've ever heard. Um, does anybody listen to some of the apologists on, on the YouTube at all? Uh, give me some names and it'll pop into my head. Can you think of any? He's a white-haired guy with glasses. No, no. Um, <laughs> He speaks a lot in universities and, and those type settings, Christian apologist. My apologies. Send me an email, rplues at shaw.ca, and I'll give you the name. But he does an excellent job because a student stands up. He was a former worship pastor and said, I don't believe in God anymore. And then he, he threw this question at him, but how can God, if he's a moral God, murder people? So the question was, does God murder? And he gives a very good answer, very good answer. In the end, it really just comes down to God is God and I'm a human. 
I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But God is holy. God is just. God is moral. God gives life. God takes life. I can't do that. I can't take life. That's murder. But because God is the creator, he created the life. He can take the life. That's his prerogative. But still, we struggle with it, don't we? We still struggle with it. So in this sense, Nietzsche, probably realizing this, the philosopher, he cried out. And what were the famous words of Nietzsche, the philosopher? Anybody know? There's a movie made about it. God is dead. God is dead. God is dead. That was his whole um, writing in the end there. And he says this. He says, um, where is God? Where is he? Where can he be now? God is dead. And that Christian movie, God is Dead, uh, tries to take away from that. Well, there are times in my life where, honestly... I have said, God, I just can't do this anymore. I just don't understand this. It's too hard. It's too hard to understand why this could happen. And yet, I knew his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. If I only knew what he knew, if I could only see what he could see, I would have a better understanding of why he does what he does. But in my human finite mind, I can't see it. So what does it come down to? Here's the bottom line, I think, for us. And some of you may say, well, that's a cop-out. That's not a good answer. It just comes down to, by faith, I believe that God is God. And that he's called me to obey him. He's called me to walk in his will. And I have to believe that whatever he calls me to will be righteous and holy. And in his perfect plan. It may seem strange to me. It may seem odd to me. But I've got to just follow his will. Is there an amen in that somewhere? Amen. Father, we thank you for being here today, and I thank you that no tomatoes were cast. I pray that you would bless our day today, Father, and these uh, hard questions that we have from Scripture, Lord, we believe that there's answer. There is an answer, but you want us, Father, I think, to intellectualize and to, to try and un unwrap uh, the theology and unwrap the the, the words of our scripture and, and learn about them and understand them in deeper ways. But, Father, we're just finite human beings. We, we're so limited in our understanding, and you're so far above us. We're so unlike you, Lord, and yet we're created in your image. I pray that you'd help us today, Lord, that we would do these three things, that we would have a passion to follow your will, that we would do what we can do with the brain that you've given us, but that we would also just let go and they would let you be God. And that we would follow you whichever way you're asking us to go. And that we would be careful. And that we would understand from the word of God. And the wooing of the spirit. And wisdom of the people around us. And, and that way of circumstances is always last. Because it can trick us. Help us to keep in perspective, Lord. And I pray for each person here today that you would anoint them. That you would put upon them a desire to grow and become all that they can become in Christ. And as they do that, Father God, that you would show them your will in a very wonderful and fresh way. Be with Pastor and his family, whatever they're up to. Bless them, Father. Give them energy and, and just strengthen them for the ministry here. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll leave this tomato here.
Tomorrow's gain 
Oh, mm-hmm.